Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Come to you live once again from our studios here in Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here with us today on a glorious day that God has given us the opportunity to know Him, to serve Him, and to seek Him, and to make His name known unto the nations. If you're joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is a ministry of Raven Ministries International which has got to be the most Jesus-loving, going-and-telling group of people I've ever met in my life. And I haven't met everybody, but, boy, they're a good group of folks. If you want more information on Raven Ministries International, why don't you go to our website and check it out. It's www.biggrace.com. Biggrace.com is our website, and you can get more information on Raven Ministries International. We are here typically Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. for an expository teaching on the Word of God. I say typically because uh, sometimes my uh, schedule demands that I'm out of town, and so when I'm out of town or on the road or somewhere else, I don't have the opportunity, obviously, to be here with you. But typically speaking, we're here Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have not been with us in the past, uh, we do an expository teaching in the Word of God. And right now we are in the midst of our study on the book of the Revelation. And today we're actually going to dive into chapter 17 of our study. If you've not been with us in the past, though, we make these classes available to you free of charge uh, from our website, biggrace.com. Click on Raven Institute, and you'll see a player on there that you can actually download these classes to uh, in mp3 format or just listen to them right there online as well these things are available to you if you have questions in regards to any of the classes that we have uh, feel free to email me raven at biggrace.com raven at biggrace.com again i'm pastor troy uh and i'd love to to discuss those with you if you have something you want to add to the discussion uh email raven at biggrace.com we'll be glad to bring it out if you have a question about something else in the Bible or, or whatever it may be, counsel or just some advice on something scripture. We'd, we'd be glad to, to, to lend you uh, uh, any type of counsel or support in that way that we can. Once again, just send that to raven at biggrace.com. Also, send your prayer request. Uh, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God is still answering prayer, that his hand is not shortened, that he cannot heal and deliver and save. And so if you have prayer requests, send those to pray at biggrace.com, pray at biggrace.com, and we want to lift your prayer request up to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God's going to do some miracles in your heart and life as well, just as we've been testimonies of God's uh, sufficiency of His grace and His power to save and deliver in our own personal lives. So once again, good to have you here. Uh, be praying for us. Here's my prayer request if I can send some out. I'll give you, actually I'll give you two. My, my first one is what Paul said in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. He said, as for me, pray that I might have utterance to open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And that's my desire, not just as a, a teacher of the word, but as a, a, a minister and a minister of ministers and as a, a person that is desiring to win people to Jesus. If you want to pray for me, pray that God will just give me utterance, that I can open my mouth with boldness and assurance and confidence to make known the mystery of the gospel. The second prayer request is likened unto that. And it is, uh, pray for our team. We're going to be uh, venturing out into New Orleans uh, the 18th through the 25th of this month for our uh, 14th trip into the city uh, for Mardi Gras outreach there in New Orleans. I'm actually going to be out this week. I'll give you some uh, the, the lowdown on that exactly when I'm going to be out of the, uh, the class later on in the week, driving a bus from Daytona Beach to Florida, excuse me, Daytona Beach, Florida to New Orleans, then flying back and picking up the team and going again. And so uh, I'm going to be making a, a run there, 625 miles, and come back. So pray for me that that will be a safe trip. We have the bus actually in the shop. I had to get some work done on it. Pray that it will uh, get done uh, in an expedited fashion and uh, uh, it won't break us financially trying to get that done. So pray that God will just give us favor with, the, with Dave over at the, the automotive center that's working on our bus. Uh, and also uh, Brother uh, uh, Ed Baker uh, is going to be driving one down from... Um, uh, Canada for me, from all the way from Ontario, Canada to New Orleans this coming weekend as well. So we may converge on the city simultaneously. So keep uh, Brother Ed in prayer as well as he's making that trek with a bus. Him and I are going to be some over-the-road guys this coming week. So pray for both of us as we travel. But pray for the, the outreach team. We're going to drop about 200 soul winners on the streets of New Orleans during Mardi Gras, just in our camp alone. But there's probably 1,500 to 2,000 um, uh, soul winners, harvesters that are going out into the city. But uh, if you're not going to be with us, pray for us. Pass the word on your email list. That's a good way to do it. Just send that word out. See, keep us in prayer 
and uh, let them know that we're going to be out there and we need really a prayer covering and to go not just with us while we're there, but before us. That God would just begin to soften and deal with people's hearts before they ever get there. And they'll get there looking for us, not looking for beads, not looking for debauchery, but looking for a touch from the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be there to answer it. So I'm excited about that. Excited to have uh, my sister Kim back with us again and uh, my nephew, Pastor Brandon, and my, my niece, uh, Dina, uh, for all, all right there from uh, New Mexico. And so it's really a special time for me to be able to, to get out there and witness and win people to Jesus with people in my own family as well. Not to mention uh, Melanie and Kayla and my family in the body of Christ. So it's always exciting to be able to do those things. So pray for us as we hit the streets of New Orleans. Uh, with the expectancy of seeing uh, a great harvest come into the kingdom of God. So we're going to pray this morning and dive into the 17th chapter of the book of the Revelation. I just believe God's going to do some some tremendous things in in revealing some things to us. You know, I told you, you know, I think about some of these chapters, and the last two or three are are just enormous. They they really are in respect to just the the, the wealth of information they give us, not just relating folks to... uh, to the end times or eschatology or things of prophetic significance, but just the character of Jesus. And I, I don't ever want you to miss that. Uh, you know, I, I tell people I, I preach uh, and teach Revelation as the unveiling of Jesus. Not the unveiling of the Antichrist or not the unveiling of the, the, the seven judgments, but, but the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So please extract Jesus from everything that we have. You need to get a greater revelation of Him. So let's pray and just ask that we would have the mind of Christ. We'd be able to understand and ascertain all that He would have for us this day. Father, we just come to you right now in the precious name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity, Lord God, to know you and to seek you, Lord God, and to serve you. And Father, just to get into your word, Lord God, and to to, to extract, Lord God, the person of Christ and the character of Christ, Lord God, from the, what you've trusted us to in this canon of Scripture. Father, as we come today, Lord God, we come with humble hearts, Lord God. Father, completely and totally dependent upon you. Father, in our flesh dwells no good thing. Father, there was nothing salvageable about us, Lord God, until Christ Jesus came in, the hope of glory. And so, Father, we come today, Lord God, with, with hearts uh, laid out and poured open before you. We ask you to cleanse us, Lord God. Cleanse us and purge us. Father, be anything in us, Lord God, that's uh, bitterness, unforgiveness, sin, Lord God, unconfessed or unrepentant sin. Father, we, we lay those things down and we ask you to cleanse us and purge us from all unrighteousness, Lord God, and do a work in our heart and mind. We know that today, Father, you want to reveal things to us spiritually. We know that they are only spiritually discerned. And we don't want those things to run aground, Lord God, on anything in our life that would be uh, unrepentant reflective of your character and your person. So, Lord God, cleanse us by the blood of, of Jesus that was poured out upon the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. We put our, our faith in him and him alone in his work and the power of the resurrection. So, Father, as we come today, just open this word up to us, Lord God. Just uh, show yourself strong and powerful. Father, we pray for those that have been battling these these just nagging uh, colds and viruses. Father, I curse those things in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you've given us power and dominion, Lord God, over those things. And you've not withheld any of those things from us. And so I rebuke sickness. I rebuke disease. I rebuke all of those things, Lord God, that would try to lay claim to your people, that would discourage, Lord God, to disrupt. And I ask in Jesus' name for healing to come upon people, Lord God, whether it be a sickness, whether it be a disease whether it be some emotional issue, Lord God, whether it be some other type of bondage, I ask that you would break, Lord God, that yoke right now in the name of Jesus. Lord God, come and fill up this time. Anoint this teaching. Anoint, Lord God, our our time of fellowship to one another, Lord God, and just cause that word, Lord God, just to reverberate, Lord God, and take root in our hearts, Lord God, that it might bring forth much fruit in the name of Jesus. Lord Father, just bless this time, and we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Folks, in our last class, you know what? We, we dealt with, with a, uh, really a chapter that, for me, very, very difficult. And not difficult in the sense of, uh, you know, providing, uh, uh, difficult to, to provide some type of biblical interpretation or wonderment about it. Not, not at all. That, not difficult in that way at all. But, but really difficult in the sense that it was so clear. It's such a clear chapter, uh, chapter uh, 16. In, in that it, it, it brings you to the place where you have the realization of the devastating consequences of rebellion against the righteousness of God. And when you begin to look at things like that, you know, we talk about the mercy of God. God is good and His mercy endures forever. We know that God is gracious, that where sin is abounded, His grace is abounded uh, much greater. But folks, one day, you know what? People are going to have to pay the piper, so to speak. There's going to be the consequences of sin and this the terrible nature of, of rebelling against God. That's going to come to pass. And, and chapter 16 was like that. And, you know, I want you to always remember that, that picture that I gave you concerning chapter 16 in regards to that bowl of mercy 
that went into the temple on that Day of Atonement, uh, really filled with that blood sacrifice that, that covered men's sins and called that uh, not guilty to the repentant heart. And contrast that. Keep that contrast in your mind that seven bowls of judgment that are going to be filled with wrath and the, the indignation of God that's going to come out of the, the temple during the last three and a half years of that tribulation period. I'll give you a quick recap of those, uh, of those judgments that are going to befall a rebellious uh, humanity. And seven of them, obviously. And the first one was the sores upon humanity. Literally, they're going to be plagued. There's going to be, it's going to be like a plague that comes upon mankind that's just not going to allow them to, uh, to, to, to rest. These, 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 these oozing, boilless type of sores upon people that are just going to make life miserable. Uh, the second thing, the second judgment is going to be the seed becomes blood. And just in that, just think about the atrocious nature of the stench and the death and the lack of food supply and all these things associated with that. The uh, next thing is rivers and springs become blood. You know, think about that just for a second. Water coming off, you know, a river, you think about a, a lake or whatever, and then you have water that stands, or a pool or a sea, and you think about it standing. But a river, you think about something that flows, or even a spring, something that's coming out of the ground. You know, Old Faithful there in, in, in Yellowstone is going to not spray uh, fresh hot water. It's going to spray blood. And so you think about how all these things are going to look. So that's the third one. Rivers and springs become blood. The fourth thing is going to be the scorching of the sun upon mankind. So hot that people, you know, it's going to burn them up. And you couple that with uh, the, the sores upon humanity and the, the rancidness of the, the seas turning into blood. And now this scorching sun, that uh, I believe that he's going to shorten those days that way to, to, to at least bring some type of, of relief to the elect's sake. Then the fifth thing was darkness upon the kingdom of the beast. You know, the beast is going to, you know, here he was boasting about all of his abilities and all these things he could do, and suddenly he's going to be enveloped in darkness. But just like the children of Israel, they're going to, uh, the, those that are there that are tribulation saints are going to have light. And that's just a miraculous thing, anyhow. The sixth thing is that the Euphrates River dries up, which is going to provide for the battle of, of Armageddon. Then number seven is uh, these pulverizing hailstones that are going to strike. And, you know, depending upon the, the, the these things are a way of talent, depending on whether it's a Jewish talent or Greek talent or, uh, or uh, a Roman talent, they're going to range between uh, 85 and 120 pounds each. And so this just isn't something that's going to knock a few shingles off the top of the house. These are going to come with lethal blows. I mean, you talk about the world that's going to be peppered with hailstones, uh, average probably 100-pound hailstones that are going to come down upon the, the earth. And so this horrendous series of events, folks, that's taking place is going to leave really no doubt that the judgment of God has befallen this stiff-necked and idolatrous world. You know, I think about this in contemporary times. You know, they, they want to blame, you know, at that point, you know, I don't know if they're going to, if you're going to have Al Gore standing up there blaming these things on global warming, you know. Is he going to be able to say, you know what, all these things that are happening is probably the result of greenhouse gases. But you see the, you see the setup for these things, the explaining away, and these things are happening because mankind didn't respect Mother Earth. I'll tell you what, when the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God comes down, it's not just going to be a little tiny hole in the ozone. He's going to bust that thing wide open with the fourth uh, bowl, and he's going to show them all about global warming right then and there. And, and the, 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 the polar ice caps, yeah, they're going to melt, all right? They're going to melt with fervent heat as the judgment of God comes upon these things. But you see the mentality right now that's being primed to try to explain Explain these things away that are going to befall humanity. But when he splits that eastern sky and he presents himself in the revelation, there's not going to be any mistake about it who it is. And it's not going to be, uh, uh, what's the guy's name, Michael Moore and, and his uh, uh, sick documentaries or Al Gore or any of these other cats that are trying to explain away and say that this is just the earth um, riding as a result of, of, of mankind's uh, uh, too much styrofoam or, or too much carbon gases. No, what it is, it's called sin. And sin is going to bring about a judgment that's going to be total and complete. Folks, I'm going to give you some. On, in chapters 17 and 18 that we're going to look at, they're really interesting. And, you know, we've talked about, and I've used that term, parenthetical statement, or something that is just kind of right in the middle of a thought, right in the middle of a, of a group of passages that, that serves to explain something. And so what's going to happen in, in chapters 17 and 18 both as we lead up into chapter 19, which is the unveiling, the revelation, these, these form two more parenthetical statements. And they really, what they do is they expound just on two verses. Chapter 17 is really an explanation or, or an expounding on Revelation 14.8. And so what you might do even on your, in your Bible in chapter 17, put C, Revelation 14.8, because chapter 17 is a deep explanation, 18 verses of explanation on Revelation 14.8. Uh, 
Then you look at then we get to chapter eighteen. It's going to be an uh, an expounding upon Revelation sixteen nine. Write that up in your margin. That this chapter is uh, an explanation or an expounding upon Revelation sixteen and nine. Uh, you may remember in, in, in fourteen eight, which is what we're going to be dealing with in chapter seventeen right now. We, we read something. And here's what it said in fourteen eight. It says, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, fallen that great city. Because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then in chapter 16, 19, uh, we learn that the great Babylon came in remembrance uh, before God because he was to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath in verse 19. So 17 and 18 are recaps or deeper explanations of chapter 14 and 8 and 16 and 19. And, you know, we have we've really already discussed the this Babylon of, of Revelation 14 is a religious system, and the Babylon of Revelation 16 is a political system. Revelation 14, the Babylon, is a religious system. Revelation 16, it's a political system. So what we're going to be doing in these next couple of chapters is further defining and, and characterizing the political and religious systems that have been uh, previously described in this small small portions of, of Scripture up to this point. And so what this does, it's going to really kind of, uh, in chapter 17, uh, we're going to be talking about and expanding upon this rise of this last day's ecumenical church, this, this gathering together. And you think today, I was talking to a gentleman the other day on the, on the telephone, and he was asking me, what do you know about this World Council of Churches? Is it legit? Is it not legit? Well, it's, it's not legit whatsoever. And so what you're going to see is an expansion on a lot of those principles. And, and, you're, and you're really already seeing it. We don't see as much of it uh, right now in, as far as the media coverage. But folks, the things that are happening behind the scenes... The, the, the debates that are going on in quote-unquote places of power on how to get these things done. If we knew everything that went on, we would probably, uh, uh, many people would probably hide in a cave and wouldn't want to watch television or anything ever again. But there's things that are happening right now in, in the powers that be, those that are setting up this, this type of system, that are discussing ways to bring these things to pass. You can't just throw uh, the, you know, cold water on a baby and not expect it to cry. It's the same thing now. If we realize just the treachery and the, 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 the diabolical schemes that are happening to do away with uh, uh, Christianity, do away with uh, the, the faith, and, and you see it. And you, you see the little leaven that's coming in, in in the form of a lot of the things that are slipped into to really the North American church, and you can see how that stuff's going to unfold in the last days. And so uh, chapter 18, again, it describes that, that destruction of the political system, which we're seeing already happening uh, uh, in this world with the, the press towards you know world currencies and world governments and the economies being so uh, connected to one another. Uh, but before I read 17.1, I want to read another couple of passages that we've brought into study this uh, the last few weeks that kind of reveal how this religious system will come into play in the last days. And one you'll remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And here's the warning. He said, Don't let any man deceive you by any means. For that day will not come. What day is that? The coming of the Lord, that the, the second advent, except there be a great falling away first. And that man of sin shall be revealed, the son of perdition. There's that, that Antichrist, there's that beast, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, will try to sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There's that abomination of desolation. So how's it going to happen? It's going to happen with this great deception. But he said, no, that it's not going to happen unless there be a great falling away first. If there be a great apostasia, is that falling away, that great uh, uh, deviation from the truth. We obviously get our word apostasy. There's going to be a great apostasy taking place. And, and you see it even now. You see it with, with homosexual ordination of clergy. Uh, and all these things that are happening within the ranks of Christianity, you look at it in the doctrine of inclusion, which there's people, uh, I think about uh, a fellow by the name, some of you may be familiar with, Carlton Pearson, who pastored a, a very large church there in Tulsa. And he was part of a mainstream organization. Matter of fact, he was an uh, Oral Roberts University graduate. And he teaches a message of, of what they call inclusion that basically says that everybody's saved, everybody's okay, and we just our job is just to remind them of that. And the same thing, there's a, a large church out of, uh, of Atlanta that has began teaching the exact same thing. But their, the pastor of the church, had uh, they found out he was a serial adulterer and he had fathered several children out of wedlock through women in the church. And now that church, which is called the, the Cathedral at Chapel Hill, that used to be under a Bishop Earl Pock, and he was the adulterer, 
and uh, he fathered, fathered the, 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 a child out of wedlock with his brother's wife, and that, uh, that man is now the pastor of the church, the, the, the son of this, this uh, adulterous relationship. And he teaches the same thing. Folks, the reason they have to teach that message is because they're, they're walking in deceit, and they're, they're walking in, in filthiness, and so they have to preach a message that's going to condone their lifestyle. And so you see that those things happening even right now, and that's just a couple of instances that, that's going on. Uh, the second uh, uh, verse I want to point you to is 2 Timothy 3, 1-7. 2 Timothy 3, 1-7. And think about this. And here's the setup for this false ecumenical church. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what Timothy, uh, Paul was telling young Timothy that was going to happen in the last days. He said, Know also that in the last days, here's those last days, that perilous times will come. Now, now look at this description. They, men will become lovers of their own selves. Isn't that the modern message? Covetous. How much can I get? Boasters. Look how great I am. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Folks, I tell you what, that whole unholy thing is huge. You tell people that we're to live holy, they will blow a gasket. Well, we're not supposed to be holy. We're just old sinners saved by grace. No, I was yet a sinner. Read Romans chapter 6 sometime. You'll find out in a hurry. Or what is it? Uh, uh, Hebrews 10:14 as well, that he is through one sacrifice, which was the cross, he's perfected forever those that are being sanctified. It goes on to say, without natural affection... Truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that's no self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good. You preach a message of holiness and righteousness and truth, they will hate you quicker than anything. Uh, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Unfortunately, folks, that's the, that's the picture of the modern church. The church has become a place of pleasure rather than a place of holiness. And so it's how comfortable can we make people, how user-friendly can we make the church, how uh, inviting can we make it, rather than uh, how, how much can we point towards Jesus. And it says, here's the, here's the whole summation right there. They'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power. The, the power of what? That dunamis, the power to be a martos, to be a witness of him, to lay your life down. And it says, from such, turn away. For this is the sort uh, of they that creep into houses and lead silly women captive laden with sins, led away by divers' lust, ever learning and never being able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They'll have a lot of head knowledge. They'll be able to say a lot of things, but they'll never come to the knowledge of the truth. They'll never know, really know him, that the truth that, that makes men free. And the next one is right there still in Second Timothy, and we've quoted this many times as well, Second Timothy chapter 4, 3 and 4. And it says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They will turn their ears away from the truth and will be turned unto fables. But it says they will not endure sound doctrine. Folks, you know what I find so many times talking to people, talking Bible with, with people uh, and seeing things. You know, I got news this past week that by a gentleman that, you know, I, I really enjoyed. I, I don't know him well, but he was a pastor in a northern city that uh, uh, his wife uh, ended up uh, leaving and committing adultery and uh, he fell away and I think did the same thing and, and just uh, a sweet guy. I mean, really, he is. I, I didn't know his, his wife. I'd met her on maybe one or two occasions when I preached in their church. But uh, I had an opportunity to talk to him one time and I found that, you know, he just didn't have a whole lot of basis. He had a lot of desire. He had a lot of zeal. Uh, he was connected to uh, this large organization that's uh, affiliated with a television evangelist. But as far as being able to uh, really have an adoptional basis that he was built upon, he just didn't have it. And when I, so when I heard this, I was my, my heart was broken for him. But after uh, a previous conversation with him, just seeing he did, never had a foundation. It was just a, a ministry of cliches, ministry of associations, ministry of these things. I wasn't totally taken by surprise that he was able to get swept up by the circumstances that, that happened in his life. And so uh, I'm going to keep praying for him, but I know the, the, the restoration is going to be really the not coming to the knowledge of the truth and just pray for God's restoration for him and his wife and for uh, really the call that God had upon their life. And so, you know, the things, folks, now that we're seeing in Christianity, and, and they're really things that are sweeping through. And if I, I use the term Christianity kind of loosely because a lot of things that are sweeping through uh, so-called Christianity are not really in the realm of Christianity. But what they are is they're things that are setting the stage really for this perverse religious system that, that's happening, this spiritual Babylon to come into existence. And, and really, there's I can think of seven things. You think about these seven bowls, but there's really seven things you can point to that are being taught, preached, and uh, proposed right now. And one is this, this modern-day prosperity message. The modern-day prosperity message Folks, it is. it will undermine things as quick as anything. Why? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
And so if, if I'm so dependent upon the, the treasure of prosperity, whether that prosperity is my pension, whether that prosperity is my check that I'm going to get on Friday, whatever it is that's going to, quote, bring prosperity to me or bring something of a financial type of a reward to me, and I put my focus upon that, it has the potential to undermine my relationship with Jesus. You know, he tells us that the love of money is the root of what? All types of evil. And so if I love that, and so the prosperity message is a message of covetousness. It teaches people to want more, to desire more, to claim more, to name it, claim it, uh, blab it, grab it, whatever else that God wants us to be rich and all these things. Uh, folks, that's not even it. You know, people say, well, he became poor that we might be rich. Yeah, rich in faith, rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in power, rich in holiness. Those type of things. He did. He came and made himself a little lower, physically speaking, uh, not financially speaking. That's, that, that didn't even come into play. That He said if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto us. But that prosperity message, you know, it used to be a, a, such a big, huge, back in the 80s, where it really got birthed and, and promoted was in the charismatic movement. But folks, it's really not limited to the charismatic movement anymore. It's uh, within the ranks of, of, of mainstream uh, Baptist and uh, Methodist and Presbyterian, whoever it is, they, they really preach that same type of prosperity message. Uh, the next thing that I believe is a really uh, something that's setting these things up is uh, false signs and wonders. False signs and wonders. Or lying signs and wonders, as the Scripture calls it. And when I say lying or false, I'm not talking about things that are not supernatural. I'm talking about things that are not derived out of holiness and righteousness. There's things that have happened, people have experienced uh, there's people that have been healed that I don't believe necessarily had to have been the healing of the Holy Spirit. That the adversary uh, allows some those type of things to happen as a lie and sign, uh, a sign and a lying wonder as well, because he does have some power and some uh, uh, a supernatural type of characteristics. But but two people are so swept up by those things, they forget about Jesus and they forget about holiness and righteousness. As long as something mesmerizing, something powerful, something that's a sign happens, people flock to those things. That's why, folks. The scripture doesn't say you judge a tree by its gifts. You judge a tree by its fruits. And so these gifts, these empowerments, so to speak, uh, do not necessarily equate with righteousness, truth, and the acceptance of God. The third thing, and we I touched on this, is the abandonment of biblical truths. There's been such a, a, a lack of a study and preparation uh, of showing ourselves approved unto God and a desire to really be built upon that foundation. When I talk about biblical truths, you know, you have certain people, uh, certain televangelists that, that will readily admit to Larry King or whoever asks them, they don't preach on sin in their church. They don't preach on repentance in their church. They don't preach on the blood in their churches. Why? Because it, just, it sends negative. And they want to they present a positive message, Larry, as, as the gentleman said. Folks, listen, when they abandon those things, the preaching of the gospel, and, and, and begin to move towards the, uh, the, the enticing words of men, the cross of Christ became of none effect. And uh, Paul, once again, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, determined not to know anything but Christ and Him crucified. We've got to get back just to the basis of every message that we preach has got to flow out of the shadow of the cross. Everything that we say, our life that we live, has got to flow out of the shadow of the cross. And the fourth thing is a, a false unity, a false unity. You know, he desires that we there be no contentions among us, that there be no divisions. That's what he told the church at Corinth, Paul did. And so he desires that we be one body, fitly joined together, each one supplying the need uh, of the other. But what is that going to be built around? Is that going to be built around a compromise or this 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 uh, ecumenism that we just come together and we say, well, what's this all kumbaya and we're just going to coexist and you know there's many ways that, that lead and we just got to acknowledge one another and just just agree to disagree? Well, absolutely not. How can two walk together except they be in agreement? And so we've got to get an agreement and, and major on the majors and minor on the minors. And the major things is who Christ Jesus is in the in the message of the cross. And the blood of Jesus and the message of holiness and righteousness and faith towards God. We've got to get to that. So there's going to be this false, and we see it now, this, this, this false unity that's happening where people just, it's kind of the hands across America. Let's just all get along uh, type of uh, mentality. Uh, then a, the fifth thing is a lack of urgency in reaching the lost for Christ. Folks, if there is ever anything that was the, the primary focus of Jesus, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, if you look at probably most church budgets, uh, that which was Jesus' primary goal, if probably even financially speaking, is a very small part of most churches' budgets. If a church spends 10% in reaching their community or reaching the lost or supporting missions, that they think they've really done something. 
And so you, you just do not see that. I think Barna said, I think 95, 96%, might have been more than that, uh, percent of people who profess to be believers have never personally led someone else to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's no urgency in it. There's no expectancy. There's no uh, feeling of uh, responsibility. And the, the sixth thing is a works-based salvation. A works-based salvation. And what I mean by that is this whole uh, purpose-driven mentality of if I just do enough nice things, if I just do enough things in my community, then I'll be saved. And so if I got a good job, and if I just, even works basis, if I just go to church, and if I'm part of a Bible study, and if I'm just a, a decent person, and if I just take my, my family on a nice vacation, if I'm just, uh, 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 have a, a nice wife and all these. It's works-based, folks. Listen, we're not we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Should we reach our community? Yes. Should we do nice things? Absolutely. Should we have good families? Absolutely. But none of those things can be equated with righteousness. Those things become self-righteousness, which are like filthy rags. Anything that I do is because I've been created through the new birth in Christ Jesus unto good works. I'm not doing good works to prove my salvation. I'm doing good works as a result of my salvation and who I am in Christ Jesus. Why do I go preach the gospel? Not to get saved, but because I am saved. Because that's the fruit of who I am. It's not what I do. But this works-based salvation has gripped many churches. They say, hey, we can build our church on that. No, what you're building is you're building an organization, not the organism which is Christ Jesus. And the seventh thing is sin-expectant salvation. Sin-expectant salvation. Might be a new term for you, but really people that get saved, they're told to expect to fall. They're told to expect to sin. They're, they're told that, listen, you, you say the prayer and you have an unconditional eternal security. And, you know, I was talking to a brother in the Lord recently and he said he was talking to someone and this person was totally just in a, 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 a demonic state literally in their life. They were living in, in all types of immorality. And uh, the brother in the Lord was trying to share with them and they said, listen, I'm okay. I said the prayer. Now think about that for a second. They said, I'm okay, I said the prayer. Folks, I, I, you, you know, if you have that type of mentality, you don't have a prayer. You don't have a prayer of, of making it into the kingdom. But the individual said, you know what, listen, I, I said the prayer and so I'm safe. Folks, listen, uh, there's only one thing that will make you safe, and that's walking in righteousness and faith towards God every single day of your life. And so this whole sin-expected salvation that's going to say, listen, I can sin. You tell people that, listen, you don't have to sin. You tell people that, that, that there's no temptation that comes upon you, but that which he's provided a way of escape. That, that he's every single time he'll provide you a way of escape that you don't have to walk in that, that there's no sin that you uh, would not be able to bear because he provides a way of escape every single time. People say, oh, whoa, whoa, no, 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 we can't, we can't preach that, we can't say that. Why? Because they've been inundated with this sin-expectant type of salvation. They expect to fail, they expect to walk in unrighteousness. And you know what ends up happening? It's exactly what happens. Why? Because that's the foundation that they've been built upon. And so verse 1 of chapter 17, that's kind of our setup for all of this tells you how all that happens. And now when we look at verse 17, that really, once again, it's that description of chapter 14, verse 8. You can see that all the things we've experienced and we've uh, seen right now in our day and age are the precursors of verse 1. And it says, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, and he talked with me. This is John speaking again. And he said unto me, Come here, and I will show unto you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters. Folks, you know what I love about the Scripture? The Scripture just says it like it is. You know, it, it calls it like it sees it. Yes, this, this last day's religious system, it is a great whore. It is the harlot. It is this, 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 this thing that is just bringing a reproach. I, I've shared with, with some of you guys about it. Some of the Lord spoke to me. I was there witnessing in Amsterdam in the red light district. And, you know, here we are in the midst of this legalized whoredom, legalized prostitution. And uh, these groups of people, young men typically, would come up, uh, some old men, we come up to these windows and there'd be a prostitute standing behind there like she's putting all of her, her, her business on display and be dancing around and parading herself, scantily clad, and uh, she'd be trying to seduce them in. And so I, I'm there and there's this group, obviously it's a, like a bachelor type party, uh, some a group of eight or ten guys, and they come up and they keep pushing the young man to the front, I guess who's the groom. And, uh, and so the, the girl's seducing him and so he goes up to the door and she tells him how much it's going to cost for him to go in there and have sex with her. And so his friends gather up the money and they pay the prostitute. And he goes in and, you know, two minutes later he comes out and he hands her the money and, 
And uh, they all pat him on the back and cheer for him. And they walk off. She opens back the curtain and she starts her her, her pedaling just the exact same way again. And I'm sitting, I'm standing there seeing this 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 scenario unfold. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, "He said, you see that right there?" And I said, "Yeah, unfortunately, Lord, I do." And he said, "That's a picture of the North American church. That's what the church has has become." And I'm like, "Why?" And he says, "Well, what happens is it's become whoredom. The, they they come to church. They're seduced." by this this lovely presentation they're told that everything's okay they're perfect they've waited all day for them and they're the greatest people on earth and and come and and they walk up to the door and what do they do they pull out their wallet they hand they pedal their 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 hand their tie they hand their offering in for a momentary pleasure of prostitution they go in there and they walk out and what happens now they pull back the curtain they get ready for the next service to do it all over again folks listen whoredom has entered into the modern day church not holiness, but, but whoredom. The, the focus is not on drawing nigh to God and having a visitation of the Holy Spirit and coming before God. What it is, is let's get them in. Let's give them what they want. Let's get them out. That way we can get the next group in, get them in, give them what they want. That way we can fleece them all and get more money, build a bigger ministry, build a bigger name, do all these things, and try to put it under the name and the guise of Christianity. Folks, genuine Christianity is not going to fill your pockets. It's going to fill heaven. It's going to cost you. Uh, and, and, and blessed are you when men will revile you and persecute you, speak all manner of evil against you falsely. And he said, well, unto you when men should speak well at you. There's nothing scarier that should not sound alarm uh, more so than, than, than popularity. If you're popular because you're, you're, you're giving these great swelling words and patting people on the back, you need to run for cover because the judgments that we just, uh, talked about in chapter 16 are going to be upon you. Why? Because you're living the life of chapter 17. And so we see these, these seven, one of these seven angels here in the verse 1 of chapter 17. Then he's one that had, uh, had administered those seven previous judgments. Now he's speaking to John. And basically what he's doing, he's inviting him to come and look at these judgments that are going to come upon this great harlot, this, this ecumenical, religious, Babylonian system that's going to be unfolding. And so what does he say? He, he says, listen, I'm going to show you. The ver- came the voice which had seven uh, vials, and he talked with me, saying, come here and I will show you the judgment upon the great whore that sets upon many waters. You can underline many waters, put many waters in your note. What that's speaking of, and we talked about it before, is this, this religious system is going to have this control over humanity. It's going to have this international impact. Why do I say international? Why do I say it's going to have over so many people? Why? Because we get down to verse 15, we'll know. It says, The waters which you saw where, where the horse sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. In other words, it's going to captivate the world. You know, through satellite television, through uh, the, the, the promotion of, of, uh, of uh, documents and all types of things that are going to be uh, the proliferation of this great whoredom. This, it's going to envelop all these things. So it's going to, it, it's going to grab the, the world's religious system it's, whether it be Catholicism or Islam or his, Hinduism or Buddhism or paganism, whatever ism it may be, it, it says that he's, this, this great whore is going to sit upon many waters. And so it's not going to differentiate between things, whether it's Christian, Protestant, pagan, Babylonian, whatever it may be. They're all going to gravitate towards this in this great ecumenical type of charade that this uh, religious leader is going to present. Then in verse 2 it says, uh, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And so here's this great horde, this religious system, and it says the kings of the earth also have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have, have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Folks, here's what's happening here. We're seeing it in this verse 2. is this worldwide system it's going to have the, the ears of the, the world leaders and, and it's going to grasp them. They're going to be held captive by these things. And this fornication that's talking about being committed is between the, 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 the political leaders, the world leaders, and the church. And, and don't forget, this, this spiritual fornication, spiritually speaking, it's done with idolatry. And basically what it's doing is saying, listen, I'm going to depart from my devotion to Christ and I'm going to be more devoted to something else. Something that's going to bring me pleasure. Something that's going to bring me great joy. And so the idolatry is, is beginning right now. Some of you are wrestling with idolatry in your own life. It's idolatry of money. It's idolatry of offenses. It's idolatry of relationships. It's all these types of idolatry. And so what you've done is you've been like Achan who's brought just a few idols and hit them under your tent. 
and, and you've, you've, you've coexisted with, with idols. And so if you're one of those ones that aren't going to repent and believe the gospel, it's going to be easy for you to fall into the, the, uh, the idolatry of this, this last days, uh, 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 last judgment, ecumenical type of, 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 of thinking. Why? Because you've already conditioned yourself towards that. And I just tell you, repent unless He come unto you quickly and remove your candlestick out of its lampstand, as He told the churches of Asia Minor. And so this spiritual fornication, folks, what it's got to do with is, is really the, the Christianity, or in this case, really these world religions embracing the world. How much can we be like the world and, and try to win the world? It, that's the mantra of the modern church. Let's look like Let's look like it. Let's act like it. Let's be like it. Let's uh, parade ourselves around like it. We've got to be relevant. No, you don't have to be relevant. You have to be righteous. And so what they're doing is they're, they're imitating the world, thinking that they're going to do something. Well, what does Romans 12 and 2 tell us? It says, don't be conformed. Don't imitate the world. Don't be a model of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove out what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That will that's good, that will that's perfect, that will that's acceptable. If I'm what? Not conformed to the image of this world. If I'm not always trying to embrace the whoredom and the harlotry of the world system. <coughs> and, uh, really, they were also ca- uh, cautioned in 1 John 2.15. Look at this. 1 John 2.15, he says, Do not love the world... Neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you love the world? Do you love what the world has to offer? Do you love the the, the worldly uh, allure? Do you love the the worldly promises? Do you love the worldly pleasure? And, and folks, it's it's easy to get that way. I think about Second uh, Timothy chapter. Uh, excuse me. I think about Philippians chapter three. Where Paul's talking about there's a crown of righteousness, a crown of what righteous for those that love is appearing. You know, I know I know sincere people that do not love the appearing of the Lord. They, they really don't. They're not looking forward to it at all. Not that they they don't love Jesus, but they don't love His appearing. The reason being is because they're thinking, you know what? There's so much I want to do. There's so much I want to see. Now they're not talk, talking in the sense of, man, there's so many people I want to reach for the kingdom. They're thinking, you know what? Man, I want to grow up and get married. I want to have grandchildren. You know what? I just started college. I want to be able to finish these things. And so what what happens? You see, those things seem kind of benign in a sense. You know, who wouldn't want to see their grandchildren? Who wouldn't want to, quote, uh, find a wife? But folks, if, if those things are taking precedent, what they do is they cause us to love the world. It just begins to dilute our passion for Jesus. Even so, quickly come. Think about what Paul told the, uh, the, the, the church that he raised up. He said, do your diligence to come quickly unto me. Come shortly unto me. Even so, quickly come, Lord Jesus. My heart needs to say, Lord God, I'm going to occupy until you come, but come. Lord God, I'm going to get busy until you come, but come on. Lord God, I'm going to preach the gospel until you come, but I'm ready for you. Lord God, I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything I can to gather in the lost people, but Lord, uh, but 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 Lord, come on, don't 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 delay your coming on on my behalf, Lord God. Uh, come on, come on, come on. We got to have that type of mentality uh, towards Him. Otherwise, we run the risk of becoming lovers of the world. And think about James four four talking about this. He says, "You adulterers and adulteresses." He said, "You know not that friendship with the world is enmity, it's division, it's separation with God." Whoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So if I'm a friend of the world, what does that make me? Just a real good, sincere Christian saved by grace and you know, hopefully I'm going to make it in? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if I have a friendship with the world, if I can be associated with the world, if I'm conforming to the image of this world, if I'm acting, talking, living, behaving like the world is, it says that I am an enemy of of God. I'm going to be the recipient of the judgments that, that will befall this world in chapter 16 that we talked about in our last class. And so, harlotry, whoredom, what are these things of? All these things speak of just a worldliness. And so, during that tribulation uh, hour, folks, this, this ecumenical, this religious system, this great whore, basically what it's going to do is going to begin to create these associations and alignments with kings, rulers, President, uh, presidents in, in this unprecedented way. And so, you know, now in our country, we just uh, uh, elected a new president and the inauguration was, what, the 20th of January. They always get the most popular uh, preacher to come and do the, the prayer. And so they do that and they begin to align themselves and they begin to talk about the faith and all these things. Folks, listen, I've heard a lot of it uh, over, the, over my lifetime, dating back, I guess I was born during the Johnson administration. And I've heard it from all these guys, but... Folks, when it comes right down to it, I haven't seen a whole lot of it. 
You know, I've seen guys that may be a little bit more sincere than others, maybe some that, that, that claimed one thing or another, but as far as seeing this, this radical president that says that, you know, I'm sold out for Jesus and is preaching the gospel, I, I haven't uh, been the, the benefactor of that. I, I hear of him. I hear our modern president now is basically, he's a he's this ecumenical type of guy. He, he claims to be a Christian, but, you know, he kind of embraces everything, everybody. Our last president, you know, he went on record as saying that he believed that the only way to heaven was through Jesus Christ, and that's great, but I believe he could have done more. He could have uh, preached righteousness and, and pounded his fist upon the presidential uh, 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 platform. You know, the president before that claimed to be a Baptist out of out of Arkansas, but, you know, he was an adulterer. Uh, president before that, you know, again, claimed to be a Christian before that. Uh, now I'm all the way back to Ronald Reagan, you know. He claimed to be these things, but, you know, he was a, a Adulterer as well, married, unmarried, all these things, and Jimmy Carter claimed to be born again from from Georgia. Look what he's doing, all these things. And so I've heard a lot of this stuff, but I'm, I haven't really seen it. I haven't seen a, a born again radical believer in our White House. And so what you're going to see is more and more of just that that dumbing down and that diluting down of these religions and these religious leaders embracing all these things. So this control of the system is going to be so overwhelming in this this hour of the tribulation that the, the humanity is going to become literally intoxicated and stupefied, almost a hypnotic type of situation uh, with this, this these alliances that are being made. And so they're going to just buy into the whole shooting match. They're going, people are going to say, listen, this isn't this great? Look what's happening. People are, are, it's going to be in God we trust. People are coming together once again. There's going to be this great unity. Folks, listen, there will never, ever be that type of unity in the world. There's going to be a great falling away. The, 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 that which comes into the kingdom is going to be a, a unified remnant. It's not going to be this unified multitude in, in the, the coming events leading up to that. It's going to be a great splintering that's going to happen until we begin to see that multitude come out of the tribulation through the preaching of 144,000. But that's going to be in the midst of judgment. So folks, if, if you're holding out saying, listen, we're going to all kumbaya and we're going to be hands across the world and everybody's going to come together and, and sing our, our, our great song and people are going to uh, rejoice and we're going to create some uh, uh, eco-friendly utopia, don't hold out because it's not going to happen, folks. But people are going to be drunk. They're going to be intoxicated, it says, with this, this lust. And they're going to say, listen, we want to throw money. And think about this for just a second. Even these faith-based initiatives and churches going after all these... Folks, listen. People always say, hey, you listen, the government's make, getting money making these things available Christianity. Do you want to get it? Absolutely not. Why? Because you begin to buy into that system. One day they're going to come back on you and say, hey, listen, we did this for you. Why do I say that? They, well, they've done the same thing with this bailout of the, the automotive industries and these industries and banks. They're saying, okay, we've told you, we've given you this. Now we're going to tell you how much you can pay your executives. We're going to tell you what you can do, what kind of cars that you can build, all these other things. And so, folks, if the church continues to take these handouts from the government, they're going to tell you what you can preach, what you cannot preach. They're going to tell you when you can meet, when you cannot meet, what you can do, where you can go, who your people are going to be, and what you've got to report to them. Same type of system. So what's the key? Stay out of the system. Don't allow the government to come in and to, uh, to, to, to have that type of thing. So in regards to separation of church and state, yeah, get me out of that state of confusion, that state of harlotry, because I don't want to be a part of it. And so you're going to see that type of thing. The inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. They're going to be in a stupor. Then in verse 3, John says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw the woman seated upon the scarlet-covered beast, full of names of blasphemies, having seven heads and ten horns. Who's the woman? The woman is this false religious system, this uh, marked by a, a, a religious leader, this false prophet. And so what John is seeing right now, he's seeing this woman or this, this, this system governed by this false prophet seated upon this uh, this scarlet-covered colored beast, this red beast, full of names, full of blasphemies, having seven heads and ten horns. Remember when we first saw that? 13, one, chapter 13, verse 1. When it says, I stood upon the sand of the sea, or speaking of that, that adversary, stood against the, those that were part of the covenant, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. And we immediately, folks, we recognize that as that Antichrist who came to power through that confederation of uh, nations pictured by the ten horns and the ten toes. The only difference, though, in those uh, between that, that present text and verse uh, 1 of chapter 13 is that the beast now is being described as what? Scarlet, colored, red. 
And so a lot of people think that really what that is is, is result describing just the nature of it. You know, when the when the, the Antichrist is first revealed, it's peace, peace, peace. Now what it is, it's this bloody assault, it's treachery, it's death, it's warfare, it's this rise to power that's brought this assault upon anything that was righteous. And so it begins with this face, fake peace treaty. Uh, we saw that too in, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And he breaks it, and then millions are going to be slaughtered under his rule. And now this, this beast bears the, the color of this red colored or this scarlet covered colored uh, executioner of, uh, of uh, uh, hypocrisy so to speak and so then it says in verse 4 and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication and so this world church really folks look at it, it's described here and I want you to keep in mind that the true church uh, the, the bride of Christ, the, 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 the believers who have received Him, at this point, we're in heaven, okay? Chapter 4, verse 1, we're caught up into heaven. And we're, we're, we're brought from all nations, denominations, those that walk in, in faith towards Him. But now what you're seeing is this, this false church is here. So we, we see it too, the song that was recorded in chapter 5, verse 9. And look what it said. It says, You were slain and has redeemed us unto God by your blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. So we see that the blood of Jesus has cleansed the, the righteous and now we're in heaven. So don't, don't get mixed up and think that this thing is happening in the face of the, 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 the bride of Christ. The, the church is going to be raptured up because it's not. And so he's saying right here that there's no other way. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. We know that there's only one way and that's Jesus. And we see that uh, in some different things how this woman is coming, how she's coming with this abomination, how this false church is rising up. Uh, think about all the way back to Cain. What did Cain try to do? Cain wanted to offer, offer a sacrifice of vegetables. No blood. Just vegetables. They're good for you. They're great for you. Uh, eat them. Well, you can do all that, but when it comes to sacrifice, according to Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, that's not the sacrifice that God desires for us. But God said it's blood that makes an atonement for our sins. Leviticus 17, 11. And one cannot get to heaven following the commandments of men, Matthew 15, 9, or observing the traditions of men, uh, Mark 7, 9, or the results of works, which I've talked about this morning, Titus 3 and 5. And so what's happening is this false church that's going to rise up, this false religious system, is, is bringing its union together with the world, the political figures. And basically, uh, all the leftovers, all the people that are buying into this, are, are the people out of all these denominations, out of all these groups, that did not endure sound doctrine. So you got people now that are sitting in, in, in nice little family churches and, and Bible churches and Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches and Pentecostal churches that have not endured sound doctrine, have not allowed the truth to come in their life, but are going to be part of this treachery, part of the people that are going to be bought into that. And so it doesn't matter where they come from because uh, they're, they're doctrinally wrong, they're foundationally wrong in regards to the truth as described in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. And Listen to this. It says that there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, whose judgment now of a long time does not linger, and their damnation does not slumber. It doesn't rest any longer. In other words, it's going to come to pass. And so, you know, we see also in Jude, uh, uh, the, the book of Jude, verses 8 through 21, that this whole moral picture is pictured. And we've talked about that several times in regards to that. And you'll see why morality, why righteousness, why truth, why holiness is so important. Why? Because without it, no one will see the Lord. What you're going to see is find yourself bound by the, this treachery here. And so, uh, 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 Titus 1.16, it says that they will profess to know God, but in works... They deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and to every good work uh, reprobate or counterfeit. So there's going to be this great counterfeit movement that's going to be described right there. Look at, I want to look at verse 4 again. Though. Look at this. It says, you notice that that woman is, uh, or that, that false church, that false prophet, this ecumenical religious group, look what it says she's clothed in. Materials purple and scarlet in color. And so if you remember, we talked about this before when we were looking at the, the, the first chapter. This signifies rulership. And so, you, you think about under Imperial Rome, the Romans basically, what they did, they decked out their, their leaders in, in, in all, just really the, this elegance, and they wanted to be presented like that. And so you look at it too now in, in these uh, ecclesiastical type of churches that are very liturgical, 
How do they deck out their leaders? The exact same way. I've been in churches, both Catholic and Protestant, that they'll put these, these very ornate robes. And so you see this thing. Let's try to get this semblance of royalty. Let's get this semblance of rulership upon people. And so you're, they're, they're, they're going to seek control over the parishioners. Why? By separating themselves even by the way that they look and dress. And, you know, we talked about Constantine back in 312 A.D. when he made uh, the, the Christianity the official religion of, the, the, of, of Rome or the whole, really, the modern world at that time. And he became that, that, that head of the church. And you see that same type of thing. And that's that, what we're seeing right here is that Nicolaitanism revisited. This power, the clergy having power over the people, and which was the, the sin of, of uh, the church at Ephesus in uh, uh, chapter 2 that we studied. And so, is that scriptural? Absolutely not. Is it scriptural to walk in that type of thing? Absolutely not. We know that the kingdom of God is going to come. So we're supposed to pray according to Matthew 6 and 10. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done. And so when all these things begin to happen, uh, we, we see this, this false system that's going to be exposed. And we're going to see it big time exposed when the king of kings really comes in chapter 19. And so the colors that we see here of verse 4, basically what they do is it's a picture of the church uh, uh, really dressed in, in purple, scarlet, emperors, uh, trying to have this semblance of royalty. And it also says that there, she was decked with gold and precious stones, pearls, picture of wealth, the picture of like the Laodicean church that we see at the end of the age. Listen, I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. I have all these things. And it's also used in, in idolatry and idol worship. Pitching by, uh, look at it, it says, pictured by the golden cup in the woman's hand. She's going to have a cup full of what? abominations and filthiness. So all these things that she has is to give the semblance of royalty, the semblance of, of, of wealth, the semblance of, of power, but really the only thing in her cup is abomination and filthiness. And verse 5, And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, uh, the mother of harlots and abominations earth. So upon her forehead, here we go again, Mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots, and the abomination of the earth. And so what we see is this mother church is going to have daughters and sons. It's going to have offspring that's going to come out of that. And basically her offspring, her posterity, are going to be those that reject the true teachings of, of Christ, Jesus and his righteousness. And they're going to have this counterfeit type of experience with God. And so, you know, these are the ones that they went through the motions. They never truly were converted. They may have, quote unquote, prayed the prayer. They may have done something religious. Uh, uh, but they're, they can be cultists. They can be apostates. They can be unconverted, uh, 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 quote unquote, churchgoers, Baptists, Lutherans, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, whatever it is, a host of denominations. But the bottom line is that they are the offspring of this false system. They never never knew the Lord according to Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 through 23. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but those that do the will unto my Father. Many are going to say unto me, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say to them, depart, I never knew you. So you're going to see this, this mystery Babylon, this spiritual uh, 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 idolatry, this, this spiritual whoredom is going to bring the, the outset of other groups that are going to fall right under that. And so, uh, folks, listen, we've got to be true to the faith because at the, at the, at the, on the day of judgment, folks, uh, we've got to be able to stand in the righteousness and faith toward Jesus Christ. Not into some system, not in our own mentality, not into anything that would try to adhere to this. Uh, again, how be it in vain they worship me, teaching the doctrines, the commandments of men, making the word of God of none effect through the traditions which have been delivered. Folks, we've got to come back to that place of the preaching of the cross. That way we're not swept up into the sea this time. Folks, I'm totally out of time this morning. Uh, but you know what? I want, I want to tell you. It is the time. This is the time for the mercy of God to be unfolded. This is the time to, to, to really get right before God. And I encourage you, I'm not speaking just to, to lost people today. You know, certainly we'll have people, you don't know Jesus. When I say lost, I don't mean that you're just wandering around in the woods somewhere. I mean that you're, you're just, in, in your heart and your spirit, you're lost. But I, I'm going to speak just for a second to quote-unquote Christian people. Folks, listen. Examine your heart. Examine where you're at. Examine. Think. Take a look back. And, and ask yourself, what really characterizes who I am? Am I in, in my life? Is my character characterized by holiness and righteousness and the love of God and loving my brothers and sisters in Christ? Is that what it is? He said, "I'll give you just two commands." He said, "Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself." Do you do that? 
He said, because upon those two things stand all the law and the prophets. If you're, if you're not walking in that, you're setting yourself up for deception. Through disappointment, unmet expectations, through offenses. You're setting yourself through the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, covetousness. You're setting yourself up and you are easy prey for the system that's going to offer you all those things. It's going to say, hold on to your pride. Hold on to your jealousy. Hold on to your wrath. Hold on to your lust. Because we've got a place for you at the table of our abominations. If you're a believer and you're not really seeking after holiness, I encourage you to begin to fast and pray. Begin to, to pull away from, from the table of self-indulgence, whatever that is for you, and begin to seek the face of God. Say, God, you're going to have to do a work in my life because I can see I'm beholding my face in the looking glass of your mirror and I'm seeing something reflected in my life that, that, that it's not pretty, that's not going to measure up on that day. Folks, listen, it is time. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And while there is yet time. If you've got questions, comments, don't forget, send those to Raven at BigGrace.com. Love to answer your questions. If you are someone that don't have a relationship with Jesus, email me, Raven at BigGrace.com, or go to our website, BigGrace.com, and get my telephone number. Call me up. I'd love to talk to you at length. Any questions that you might have. Folks, I've got one bit of advice for you today as we close out. Get into God's Word. And God's Word will get into you.